podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. Today is Monday, August 24th, and this is the very first episode of our new Premier League-focused daily podcast on EPLindex.com, brought to you with our presenting sponsor, LibertyShield.com. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, and you can find their services at LibertyShield.com, so make sure you check them out so we can keep the lights on here. So this is a new podcast and this podcast is going to be sort of a fluid thing where we're going to make changes as we go. As I said, we're starting off a daily podcast. That's the aim is that we can bring you this show every day. My name is David Hendrick. Some people will know me from Anfield Index. Um, Full disclosure, I am a Liverpool fan, but I'm going to try and take all bias and tribalism out of this podcast. I think there's far too much tribalism in football and tomorrow on the show I'm going to have a a bit more of an in-depth talk about tribalism and why it's bad for football but this podcast like I say is going to be fluid we're going to start off in one way and we might end up doing something completely different it's just going to be me I'm going to try and get guests on I'm going to try and get interviews I'll try and get analysts who can come on and give you more of a statistical profile of things than I can I'll try and get scouts on I'll try and get journalists to come on if I haven't insulted them too much but this podcast is basically me doing something new putting myself out there and hoping for the best Uh, I have a really good team behind me I have Guy Drinkle my producer I have Gags Tandon uh, Eddie Gibbs and Greg Hopcroft who are the brains behind EPLindex.com and together we're bringing you this podcast and we we really hope it's something that you'll latch on to and enjoy. Let us know if there's anything you feel we can do better. Let us know if there's anything you'd like to see as part of the podcast. We have a Twitter account. It's it's at twofootedpod. And we have an email address, twofootedpodcast at gmail.com. So get at us there. Let us know what you want us to talk about. Um, The first thing I want to talk about today is the fact that the season is now finally over. The 2019-20 season has officially ended with Bayern Munich crowned as champions of Europe. For the sixth time in their history, the first time any team has won the competition, winning every game. And I think they are deserving champions. I'm not going to spend too long on them because they're obviously not a Premier League team. And the focus of this podcast is going to be the Premier League. But I do think it's important to acknowledge... Bayern and what they've done, how they've built their team, what they've been through the last season with the change of manager, the change of direction in terms of the playing style. I think it shows that just because things don't go well to begin with, it doesn't necessarily mean you can't still go forward and have a really good season. Bayern have proven it, deserving European Cup winners. And that team's going to be interesting over the next few years. There's an awful lot of young players in that squad who are going to get better and better. 
And they're going to be a big, big threat. And with the likes of Liverpool and City being set up to challenge for the Champions League, Bayern are going to be in that conversation. I think we all look at you know the situation with Barcelona, and they're probably not. Messi aside, there's a there's not really a whole lot of anything going good at Barcelona. Real Madrid are kind of in between where they want to be and where they probably should be, which is going towards more of a youth direction. They've brought in, obviously, the likes of Eden Hazard, who is a win-now player, but it hasn't worked for them yet. But four Champions Leagues in the last decade, they can't complain a whole lot, although they probably will because you know they, they feel entitled to winning the Champions League. Friday night brought us the Europa League final, which I thought was was a fascinating game. Uh, Sevilla triumphed 3-2 over Inter Milan. And we saw a lot of ex-Premier League players in that game. And I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a game where you had two evenly matched teams, two managers wanting to prove something. Conte obviously wanting that European silverware that saluted him, be it at, at Juve or at Chelsea. It didn't work for him. His team got... I thought they got outmanaged. I thought Sevilla were just brilliant at managing the game. And I think there's a few players in that Sevilla team that we should really keep an eye on uh, in terms of the Premier League interest that's sure to come for them. Jules Kunde and Diego Carlos, the centre-backs, they're both outstanding. Carlos, in particular, had a magnificent season. And I know people will judge him on the three games in the Europa League that they saw recently, but bear in mind he's played out of position all season long. He's not a left-side centre-back. He naturally plays on the right. When he was at Nantes, he played on the right side. That's his preferred position. So for Premier League clubs such as Manchester United, such as Manchester City, such as Chelsea, who are in the mix for a right-side centre-back, he would be a really good addition for any of the three. I think people in the media have dismissed him as maybe being overly rash. And yes, he can be rash, but every centre-back can have rash moments unless they're the very, very elite. And unfortunately, the very, very elite are not available this summer. Certainly not the very, very elite right-side centre-backs. Um, so Carlos is one I'd definitely look at if I was if I was Manchester City or Chelsea. That's somebody I'd look at. Um, Kunde will be another one and, and Lucas Acampos who didn't have the best final but you could tell he was struggling with an injury he's another one who I think will definitely make his way to the Premier League at some point he has the, the profile, the physicality, the versatility he'd be a really good fit for any top six club he'll find a way to fit in and the reason I'm talking with players like this is that at the moment we're seeing a huge trend in the overpricing of English footballers. Last summer, we saw Manchester United pay £130 million for Harry Maguire and Aaron Wan-Bissaka. And they're two good players, don't get me wrong. They are two good players. But to pay £80 million for Maguire, who, if we're being honest, is not one of the five best central defenders in the Premier League and certainly wasn't when they bought him. And £50 million for Juan Bissaka, who with Trent Alexander-Arnold, Kyle Walker and Rhys James, is it probably England's fourth best right-back. That doesn't lead 
to good places. That is overpaying for players. And it's not necessarily the fault of the buyer. It's certainly not the fault of the seller because the selling club should always want to get the maximum amount for their, their, their asset. It's an issue with the mentality and the mindset of English football that what's English is better and what's English is worth more. Aaron Wan-Bissak is a pound footballer with a £25 million passport. Harry Maguire, when United bought him, was a £40 million centre-back with a £40 million passport. We look at Declan Rice this summer. Chelsea rumoured to be interested in West Ham, quoting them £80 million for Declan Rice. Ben Chilwell is rumoured to be on his way to Chelsea from Leicester for £50 million. And this wouldn't be a major issue if English players were by and large the standout players. But if we look at the Premier League as a whole, the English players are not the standout players. They are in a couple of positions. So you look at goalkeeper. The two best keepers in the league are Allison and Ederson. David De Gea would be in that group, but he's obviously just he's in a slump at the moment. But take the three of them. Two Brazilians, one Spaniard. The two best English goalkeepers are Dean Henderson and Nick Pope, neither of whom are England number one. The best right back in the league is Trent Alexander-Arnold, but Liverpool developed him through their academy. Like I say, Walker's up there. I think Rhys James will get there. I think he's a tremendous player, and uh, Chelsea fans should be really, really excited about him. But again, he's an academy kid. Walker was 50 million, which for a right back, ludicrous money. The best left back in the league is Scottish, Andy Robertson. The second best left back in the league might be Scottish as well in Kieran Tierney. Chilwell is either second or third, but a 50 million pound footballer, he is not. Again, you're looking at a 30 million pound player with a 20 million pound passport. And Leicester will most likely go and buy someone like Tagliafico from Ajax. Regulon from Real Madrid, who was so impressive for Sevilla. Alex Tellez from Porto. And they'll get any of those three for half of what they're selling Ben Chilwell for. And they're all better than Ben Chilwell at this moment in time. And they're not all a whole lot older than them. Tagliafico, I think, is 27, maybe 28. But Regulon is around the same age. Tellez is about 25. So it's not like they're giving up the long term. They're getting a short term immediate impact, but they're going to have that player for the long term as well. You look at central defenders. I think the three best central defenders in the league, Virgil van Dijk is Dutch, Americ Laporte is French, and Kaglar Sionchu, he's Turkish. There's not an English centre-back in there, yet the most expensive centre-back in the world is Harry Maguire. You move into midfield, where Declan Rice plays, holding midfield. Well, the three best in the league are Fabinho at Liverpool, Kante at Chelsea, and Wilfred Ndidi at Leicester. And again, none of them are English. In terms of central midfielders, Kovacic, I thought, was the best in the league last year for Chelsea. The two most talented are Naby Keita and Paul Pogba, without question. 
for differing reasons, they've yet to show their very best form in the Premier League. Pogba has had flashes and, and so has Naby, but you know, injuries and fallings out with managers and whatever else have hampered them. But again, they're not English players. And in attacking midfield, you've got Kevin De Bruyne and Bruno Fernandes as the two best, a Belgian and a Portuguese. Deli Ali is, is exceptionally good. But again, he's been in a funk for about two years now. You look up front, the likes of Salah, the likes of Mane, Aubameyang, Aguero, Riyad Mahrez, even Christian Pulisic, we saw him develop. Chelsea have brought in Timo Werner. He'll immediately be, be one of the best in the league. There's world-class English attackers, don't get me wrong. Harry Kane is absolutely world-class. Again, though, he is a, an academy prospect from Spurs, so they didn't pay for him. Deli Ali, I mentioned, Spurs bought him for five million from a League One team. Liverpool developed Raheem Sterling and then sold him for forty nine million to Manchester City. City at the t- time were happy with the price they paid and now laugh probably every day because it was a steal. He's developed into one of the five best players in the league over the last couple of years. Um Tremendous footballer. But if you're putting together a best 11 of the Premier League, Trent Alexander-Arnold is in the team. And then Kane is in the discussion. But I don't know that he's necessarily in the team. I think he's great. He's an incredible goal scorer and his all-round game has developed magnificently well. But would you have him over Aubameyang or, or Aguero? That's a personal decision. But the point is that if you look at the most expensive players, Harry Kane is the most expensive centre-back. Juan Bissaka is the most expensive right-back. I think he was like one million more than um, than Walker. T- uh, Chilwell will become the most expensive left-back. English players get overhyped and overpriced. And there's great value to be found with English players. There really is. The likes of a Lewis Cook from Bournemouth or a Max Ahrens from Norwich could be had at really good prices this summer. But those teams had to go down, Norwich and and Bournemouth, for those prices to become realistic. Last summer, with no Premier League experience, Norwich were quoting £40 for Max Ahrens. This summer, it's probably closer to 25. Max Aarons is an exceptionally good footballer. He's going to be really, really good, but he's still a kid. He's still learning. He still has to figure out how to defend. And you're telling me he was worth 40 million a year ago. And this causes a number of problems. It causes teams to over, overspend. It causes teams to lumber themselves with a massive, massive outlay for a player who's not generally any more guaranteed to work than a player you can get cheaper abroad. You look at that Bayern Munich team last night and the entire starting 11 cost just a little bit over what Harry Maguire cost United. Harry Maguire would not get into that Bayern Munich team. I don't even think he'd make the bench. They've got Lucas Hernandez and Benjamin Pavard on the bench, two World Cup winners. Their whole squad... Everybody involved last night cost less than United have spent on defenders since the day they signed Luke Shaw, which is, what, six years ago? 
United have spent about 340 million on defenders and defensive midfielders. Wan Bissaka, Lindelof, Bailly, Maguire, Shaw, Delot, Fred, and Matic. Oh, and, and De Gea. Include him. Take him out, 320 million. Still, it's still Bayern's squad. So, the point is that it puts English clubs at a disadvantage because it's harder for English clubs to build and get themselves in a position where they can really contend for the Champions League. I mean, last season, and look at how well put together that squad was. And not to be biased, but there's no club in England that have been better in the transfer market than Liverpool over the last five years. You go through every signing they've made since Klopp's first summer. And there's only two you could say maybe aren't successes. Loris Karius and Naby Keita. And Keita, it's purely an injury thing. Karius, it's purely the, the Champions League final. But if they sold Karius tomorrow, they'd probably make a bit of a profit. And he had more good games than bad. And if Keita stays fit, he's going to be one of the best players in the league. You look at Allison, Gomez, Robertson, Van Dijk, Fabinho, Wijnaldum, and the front three. And the likes of Joel Matip and Milner and Shakiri, All of these players brought in for below market value. Save for, for Van Dijk, who set the market value. And Allison, who again set the market value. But everyone else brought in below market value and has been a success. If you scout properly, you can absolutely be immensely successful. One of the reasons Manchester City are currently having to go through their squad and figure out what they want to do is that they haven't been successful in the transfer market. Not in recent years. You look at their best players... Sterling and De Bruyne are the two best. Both of them arrived pre-Guardiola. Um, they spent an awful lot of money on fullbacks, and Kyle Walker's the only one that's been a success. Canseo, Danilo, and Mendy, for massive money, just haven't worked for a variety of, re- of reasons. Mendy, largely injuries. The other two, just not really suited to, to playing as fullbacks in the Premier League. Canseo maybe, but he has to play right back. You, you can't be sticking with him as a left back. Um, City have spent a lot of money badly in recent years. Now, Riyad Mahrez is a really, really good player, but he's not been an every-game starter until this season, and it remains to be seen if he'll remain in that role or whether they'll go and they'll buy someone else. He wouldn't have been a starter this year only for Leroy Sané, and Leroy Sané's gone to join that incredible Bayern team and it will just make them better, and they paid £49 million for him with a year left on his contract. Liverpool paid £35 million for Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. And I really like Oxlade-Chamberlain. But Leroy Sané is world-class. Absolutely undeniable world-class. And two years later, when the market was going up, Bayern paid only £14 million more for him. Which says a lot. Uh, I mentioned Harry Maguire a couple of times, and obviously he's in the news at the moment. He has been arrested and detained in Greece. And there's a lot of misinformation out there, and a lot of people rushing to make judgment on Maguire, and a lot of Manchester United fans therefore rushing back to deflect and you know point out what other people did. 
and everybody's wrong in this situation. The only thing we can all do before we denounce Maguire or praise Maguire for whatever his actions were, if if he was in fact in the right, as some people have claimed, is wait. Wait and see exactly what happened. Now, the rumours are that he got into a, an altercation and then him and some friends assaulted a couple of police officers and then tried to bribe their way out of it. Now, the counter side to that is there's talk that some gentleman was aggressively pursuing Maguire's sister. And that's what, what caused the reaction. And if that is the truth, then I, I do sort of err on the side of, you know, praising Maguire, uh, because I do think you should stand up for your sister <laughs> in, in, in all walks. Um, if the police officers were in plain clothes, as has been suggested, it's possible they just didn't identify themselves, or if they did, they did so in Greek, and Maguire and his friends, likely not scholars of the Greek language, didn't know what they were saying and thought there was just more people piling in to attack. The bribery thing, obviously, if that is true, there's no real coming back from that. That just is what it is, and um, and that's a problem. United will have decisions to make on Harry Maguire in terms of do they strip him of the captaincy? Do they stand by him completely? Could he face jail time? Allegedly, he's going to um, he's going to be in court. I think tomorrow. So we just have to wait and see, but we shouldn't immediately denounce him because there's players from all clubs that have done very questionable things. John Terry, I'm looking at you. Steven Gerrard in a nightclub having an argument and, and throwing a few slaps over not being allowed to put on his music. Uh, looking at you, Stevie. Manchester United, there's been a, a number of different things over the years. Arsenal. You go back to Tony Adams and what he went through, Paul Merson, what he did in his spare time. You know, all clubs have had issues with players off the field. And the reason is because they're human beings. They're not, they're not Autobots. You can't just expect them to be these flawless individuals off the field. Some of them are. I mean, I can't ever imagine... James Milner getting himself in a whole bunch of trouble. Um, you know, that's just not who he is. I, I don't imagine Marcus Rashford getting himself in a whole lot of bother. Marcus Rashford is, I think, the player who's come out of lockdown with the most credit for what he's done. Him, him and Henderson and that leadership council that got the NHS thing going, I think those guys have shown themselves to be remarkable, remarkable people. But we shouldn't just say, oh, well, Harry Maguire is, is, you know, a toe rag or he's this or he's that. We need to wait and see. We need to wait and see what comes out when he goes to court, how he pleads, what his defense is. And then we can pass judgment on him. But for now, let's just all pump the brakes a little bit with the, you know, scumbag and this and that and, you know, embarrassing English people when they go on holiday and all this kind of stuff. I have heard Harry Maguire been interviewed a whole bunch of times and I've never gotten the impression that he is anything other than a really, really good person. And if this is a case where his sister was being harassed by some guy and he's just seen red, then I absolutely stand with him on that. I found myself in a similar situation once before. 
Um, got myself in a little bit of bother. Didn't punch any police officers or try to bribe them, admittedly. But, you know, if it had come to it. So it's just, it's something you have to put yourself in their shoes. Put yourself in Harry Maguire's shoes. Imagine that it's your sister or your brother or your mother or your uncle or your cousin or whatever. And you're standing up for them. It's human nature to stand up for the people you love. And there's times where if you are in a physication, you do sometimes just, you know, get that tunnel vision. And if somebody walks across your path, you swing for them. We'll wait and see on the Maguire thing. But don't rush to judgment. That's all I'm saying. Don't rush to judgment. Um, the next thing that I wanted to just quickly run over is uh, the big managerial changes that we've seen so far this year, this, this summer, Barcelona, and of course Juventus, and Barca went with Koeman, Juventus went with Pirlo, but the one man who was linked to both jobs immediately was Maurizio Pochettino, and if PSG make a decision in the coming days that maybe Thomas Tuchel isn't the guy who can win them the Champions League, then you would imagine Pochettino will also be brought up for that job. But I don't think he'll get it. And I think Pochettino's a very, very good manager. But I also think he's probably probably pricing himself out of some of these jobs. Because there's talk that his wage demands are over the 10 million a year mark. And, I mean, that's Guardiola money. That's Mourinho money. It's Klopp money, I would imagine, now at this point. And the difference between them and him is that they've all won league titles, multiple league titles, in multiple countries. They've all won the European Cup. And unfortunately for Pochettino, despite the great job he did at Spurs, he didn't win anything. And it's important to look at that Spurs job in the context of what they are and where he brought them to. So I would say, and I've always said this, the three traditionally biggest teams in English football, Liverpool, Manchester United and Arsenal, they're the big three. Now, as things stand now in, in the Premier League, we have a big six with Chelsea, Manchester City and Tottenham. But Tottenham are number six of that six. And they're the most... City are the most recent addition because of the money, but they instantly jumped into that position. Spurs had to build themselves into that position. And Spurs are a brilliantly run club, and the job Daniel Levy has done there since taking over is remarkable. And you look at their training ground as one of the best in the league. Their stadium is the best in the league. It, it's a sensational building. But Spurs are the sixth biggest club in England, as things stand right now. They're not historically as big as... United, Liverpool and Arsenal. Financially, they're not in the same position as Chelsea and Manchester City. So the sixth biggest club in England, a couple of top fours under Poch, a couple of title challenges, but not really title challenges, sort of fell off 
a little bit too early, to, you know, didn't push it into those final games. No domestic cups. And one great run in Europe, Champions League final. But I do think there's probably somewhat of a of a view of Pochettino that he took over not one of the elite, not one of the mega rich. He hasn't done it at the biggest clubs yet. He did it at this big club, not a cash rich rich club. And he built that that's the thing. He built that team over a number of years and built it brilliantly. He developed players. You look at what Kyle Walker jumped under him. Uh, you look at Danny Rose's jump under him. He put together that uh, Vertonghen Alderweireld partnership and developed them into arguably the best in the league. Um, he made Harry Kane into the, one of the best strikers in the world. He made Deli Ali into an incredible attacking midfielder. He was remarkably good with developing Christian Eriksen and Young um, Min Son, but it took him time to do that. And if you look at your Barcelonas, your Juventuses, and your PSGs, they don't give time. There's no concept at those clubs of, well, this manager's going to come in, and then in three years, you're really going to be in a position to compete. They don't allow that. And that's what he got at Spurs. He got those couple of years where he wasn't necessarily expected to win in the first two years. Year three is when the pressure really kind of hit with him. And he won't get that at a top club. And I, I think that's why he's not getting real consideration is that he who can come in and he will build you to a point over three years where you're going to be really competitive. But then there's no evidence that he can win because he didn't win anything. If he'd won a league or he'd won the European Cup or he'd even won a couple of domestic cups, I think he'd be more attractive as a proposal to certain clubs like, say, a Borussia Dortmund who could say, right, well, we'll bring him in and in three years he could win us the league. And see, he doesn't fall into that category either. Klopp falls into that category. That's what Klopp is. Klopp is the guy you bring in and he'll build you over a number of years, but then he'll win. He did it at Dortmund, done it at Liverpool. Pep and Mourinho, they're the guys you bring in to win now. Conte, you bring in to win now. Diego Simeone is in that Klopp category. You bring him in, he'll build, and he'll win you a league. But Poch, unfortunately, didn't get that league title, didn't get the domestic cups. And I think he's a really, really good manager. I'm just not, not sure he's worth the money he's alleged to be asking. And I'm not, not sure he's as attractive to top clubs as the mainstream media makes him out to be. He was strongly linked to Manchester United, but Manchester United were pretty clearly looking to rebuild, to start to lower the wage bill, bring in younger players, develop them, and build a team that was going to be consistently competitive then after the first couple of years for the next five years. And I worry with Poch that he's caught himself in a weird position where he wants elite money, but he's not the elite profile of manager in terms of he doesn't win now and he hasn't proven he can go and build and, and win. So that rules out an awful lot of clubs. It rules out your Barca's, Reals, PSG's, Juve's that want to win now. It probably rules out the likes of Inter Milan, 
Dortmund, Atletico Madrid, if Simeone were to leave as the teams that want to build and win. So probably lobs them back into the, the third tier of that. And that's, you know, again, where you would find Spurs, unfortunately. And I think their aim is obviously to become in that second tier. But at the moment, they're in that third tier where they haven't had the success. I think he'll get a job. I, I would be surprised if he is still unemployed by the end of this season. But looking through the Premier League, I look at Leicester, maybe Villa. There was talk of Newcastle when it looked like they were going to have the takeover, where they were going to look to build a project. And I think that's kind of where he's going to find himself again, looking for another Spurs type of job. In Italy, it could be Roma or Lazio, Napoli maybe. In Spain, it's probably, well, Valencia before the financial disasters that's hit them. You'd say Sevilla, but their history is, you know, you get a year, maybe two, and then you're done. Um, in their entire history, they've had 66 managers and only like 20 of them have ever managed more than one season. You know, it's it's a remarkable mentality that they have, but that's just how they operate. It works for them. So in the Premier League, I think, you know, he's not going to go back to Spurs, certainly not in the short term. You'd imagine Mourinho will at least see out the year. He's not going to get the Arsenal job. They're the other club kind of in that third tier now where, you know, it's it's a long-term build. You look at Chelsea and City, they're win now. I think Liverpool and United are build and then win. And Spurs-Arsenal would be sort of, will build and hopefully win. He's not going to go to Arsenal. He won't go back to Spurs. I think he's going to have to look at a Leicester Maybe Wolves if if Nuno were to leave. Because the thing with those clubs is as well, and, and people might dismiss them, but Leicester, Villa and Wolves all have mega rich owners. So they could afford to pay Pochettino. They could afford to back him. Whether he'd be willing to take those jobs is, is a completely different conversation. I don't know. Um, like Maybe Marseille would be a great job for him if if Vias Boas were to up and leave, maybe he wants to go drive the Dakar rally again. But I, I just worry with, with Poch that he's sort of put himself in an awkward situation. Um, we'll get wrapped up with a rundown of, of the latest transfer news. Uh, I use BBC's gossip page for this because it, it you know, amalgamates the stories from, from different outlets. Now, one thing I don't do is I don't take anything from the Sun newspaper. So, you know, don't buy the Sun. Very simple. Uh, Manchester United will walk away from a deal for 20-year-old England forward Jaden Sancho with Ed Woodward considering the Borussia Dortmund star to be too expensive. That's from the Express. And first things first, there is no deal for Jaden Sancho. The deadline is passed. The deal is off. It was never really on, but it's absolutely off now. Dortmund could not have been more clear. It's 108 million. That's what it is. It's nothing less. That's what it is. And it's by August 10th. It's the 24th of August now. We're two weeks past that deadline. That deal is done. Off. Not happening. United fans will cling to the Usman Dambele thing. 
he left the country and refused to come back. Sancho has, is not going to do that. He's not going to push for this move because he knows that next summer he'll have United will be back in from Real will be in, Barca will be in, PSG might be in, Liverpool might be in, Chelsea might be in, City might be. In. He's going to have an absolute raft of offers next year. So he's absolutely not going to push for the move now. Why would he? He's got as much chance of winning the league, probably more chance of winning the league with Dortmund than he would have with United. Dortmund are really, really close to having a title-winning team. They're probably a centre-back away. United need three or four pieces. And they need their goalkeeper to remember that he's actually David De Gea and not Raymond van der Hout. So I don't think United is, is the club that he is going to choose to fight for. Next summer, he might pick them from the group. But only if they pay the money. And it's never been likely that they'd pay the money. There was talk that they were, you know, only 10 million apart on the upfront payment with Dortmund demanding 80 million upfront or something ludicrous. 70 million, I think it was. 70 million upfront. And then I think it was 30 and 10 or whatever to make it up. But that was guaranteed, all guaranteed money. And United were offering like 60 plus incentives or something baffling like that. They never came close. So, you know. They're just stringing people along at this point. Um, Chelsea are closing in on a deal to sign Thiago Silva after the Brazil centre-back left the Champions League runners-up Paris Saint-Germain. He is going to turn, turn 36 very, very soon. And his best days are long behind him. I would be concerned if I was a Chelsea fan signing him on a two-year contract because he's going to be asking for absolutely mega money. Absolutely mega money. And I don't think he's near the player he was. He, he had a really good final last night. But over the course of the season, there was clear regression in his game. And that's in the that's in the French League. You bring him into the Premier League with the, the level of pace, the level of physicality. I, I think he's going to have problems with a lot of teams. I think Liverpool's pace, Arsenal's pace. I think Kane will give him problems. I think... I, I, I think Burnley would give him absolute nightmares. Slinging balls into the box for Barnes and Wood. I I just, no, that wouldn't be one for me. Chelsea's approach to signing a centre-back this summer has been really poor. And I've seen journalists try to excuse it. There's not many targets out there. Nonsense. Absolute nonsense. The problem is not the targets out there. The problem is the scouting. There are loads of options out there. You just need to go and look for them. Arsenal's Brazilian transfer target, Philippe Coutinho, has refused to rule out leaving Barcelona this summer. I think in the interests of Barcelona, they need to keep him because I think he's one of the best players they own. Um, I could understand why he wants to leave. He has not been treated well. But I think Barca need to keep him. Um, he just won a treble for Bayern. He's going to come in and come back in on a high. Keep hold of him. Uh, Lille's Brazilian Centre-back Gabriel has agreed to join Arsenal and will complete a £27 million move this week. I love this. I, I genuinely love this signing for Arsenal. I think this is a tremendous deal. He's really, really good. And with him and Willem Saliba coming in from St Etienne after being bought last summer and loaned back as part of that deal, I think Arsenal fans should be really, really excited about this duo, 
especially when you factor in Kieran Tierney at left back, who's who's excellent. I think that's three quarters of a really good defence. Now, it will take 12, maybe 24 months for it to fully find its feet and fully develop because you're bringing in two really young centre-backs to a new league where they don't necessarily speak the language. They, I believe both of them, well, Saliba definitely speaks French. I believe Gabriel speaks French. So they will be able to communicate that way and that will help them immediately. But bringing in two young centre-backs and starting them together is going to be difficult. However, if they're given the patience and the time, I think they're going to be great. I genuinely do. Two fantastic ball players, two big, strong individuals, both good in the air, both quick, both good on the ground. I think this is a positive move for Arsenal. You're much better off having young centre-backs out there making mistakes, but learning from the mistakes, developing, ridding their game of said mistakes, than putting out Mustafi, David Luiz, um, Socrates, who make the same mistakes, never learn from them, never develop, and just carry on as if that's fine. The banter era, banter era is ending in Arsenal. So Arsenal fans should be really, really happy. I, like Tierney, Gabriel, Saliba, Saka, Martinelli, I mean, these are really good young players. Enketia, really exciting young players that Arsenal can be really, really looking forward to having in their team. I'd add Lucas Torreira to that list. I think he's really good, but he obviously hasn't shown his best in the Premier League. If Arsenal are going to play a 4-3-3 next year, I think Torreira can be exceptionally good as the link role. If you play a holding midfielder and attacking midfielder and you want someone to link everything together, he's your man. I think Arsenal would be foolish to move off him, but we'll wait and see what happens with him. Bournemouth will not stand in the way of any players seeking moves, potentially opening the door for Manchester United to sign Wales winger David Brooks. I think David Brooks is an excellent player. I think he would start for most teams outside the top six. Um, the traditional top six, not last year's top six. Um, like I'd love to see him at Leicester as an example. I think he'd be perfect on the right opposite Barnes with Tielemans and Didi and, and Madison in the middle, all feeding Vardy with those fullbacks, Ricardo and whoever comes in to replace Chilwell. Um, for, for a top six club, I think he comes in probably as a squad player, but he's so talented that there's no question in my mind he can develop into a starting player for, for a good team, a really good team. Uh, you know, if, if United can get him for... In around 30 million, that will represent good value. And that's the type of British player you can buy because he's he's not English. So you're not going to pay the English premium on him. Um, new Barcelona manager, has Ronald Koeman, has identified three signings. The one of interest here is Eric Garcia of Manchester City. 19 years of age and, and wanting to leave City. I can understand he'd like to go back to Barcelona. But at the same time, I think he would genu genuinely be better off staying at City. Even if he's the third centre-back at City. Because he's not going to go to Barcelona and start. Like let's, let's not pretend he's walking back to Barcelona to be first choice. If he stays at City, he'll be third behind Laporte and whoever they sign this summer. But City are far better set up to win things. And if he could develop there for a couple more years and learn 
then he could go back to Barcelona and start. You go back to Barcelona now, you're going to be partnered probably with Langlet, who's good, but he's not as good as Laporte. They're not nearly as good as Laporte, and not not a huge fan of him. And it looks like they're trying to push the likes of PK and MTT out the door. And it's it, Barcelona's a mess, and young players should stay well clear. Uh, the Catalan club are also looking for Tagliafico, who I mentioned earlier. Um, in terms of Leicester, uh, he was also linked with Chelsea this year. He's he's a really good left back, really really good left back. But they have Jordi Alba, um, they have Junior Firpo. Firpo, I'm not sure they need a left back. So you know, a lot of this stuff just gets made up because it's easy clicks. Uh, Newcastle have offered 4.5 million for Greek, a uh, two Greek club PAOK for their 24-year-old Greece left-back, Demetrius Giannoulis, who I believe is the third-choice left-back for the national team. Um, I don't know anything about him, being completely honest. Newcastle badly need a left-back, though. They badly, badly need a left-back. I'm surprised they're not making a bigger push to get Danny Rose, because I thought he did well there last year. But, um, yeah, they're, they're trying to solve their left-back situation. Look, you, you have to praise teams when they try and solve their problems. If a team is smart enough to recognize that we have a problem in that position and go and rectify it, I'm all in for that. That's That makes sense to me. Um, so the Evening Standard reported that Arsenal manager Mikel Arteta is keen on Brentford set-piece specialist coach uh, Andreas Georgeson uh, become part of his uh, backroom team. And then David Ornstein, who seems to operate on just a completely different level, came out and said, oh yeah, he started yesterday. The standard were like, well, we have an exclusive. They're in talks. And Ornstein comes along and was like, yeah, no, he started yesterday. So that that's done. Ornstein just operates on a different level. Um, <laughs> it's remarkable. And he's not, he's not a blagger and a spoofer either. He doesn't have a fan- fancy catchphrase. You know, he doesn't have an exotic foreign name. He's he's just really, really good at what he does. Uh, Tromso's Norwegian forward, Isaac Hansen Aaron, has, who's 16, has confirmed to, uh, that he's moved to Manchester United uh, on his social media. We're going to see, I think, a lot of this over this transfer window because I think with the rules changing because of Brexit, this is probably the last summer where English clubs can go and sign... Um, teenage players from around Europe. So I think we're going to see a number of the top clubs make big pushes to try and snap up as many talented young players as they can and bring them in. I don't know anything about this kid. Best of luck to him. Genuinely, uh, you know, follow your dream. Luis Figo does not expect Argentina forward I love this. Luis Figo does not expect Argentina forward Lionel Messi to follow in his footsteps by swapping Barcelona for Real Madrid. You think? Really? Real Madrid have no money to spend. None. Zero. And after what happened to you with the pig's head and the death threats and your car getting trashed, you think he's going to follow your footsteps? That That's just ridiculous. Um, Zlatan is going to sign a new contract at AC Milan and probably play at least 50 
And that's absolutely fine with me. And the last one here uh, from The Guardian. According to Patrice Evra, Juventus forward Cristiano Ronaldo recommended Portugal midfielder Bruno Fernandes to Manchester United. I mean, this is just nonsense. It's just the horseshit. The funny thing I saw today was from Stan Collymore, who suggested that what Liverpool need to do is to sign a right-back who's similar to Andy Robertson, move Trent Alexander-Arnold into midfield, and then sign Kevin De Bruyne. In Stan's view, that would make Liverpool unstoppable. So what he wants them to do is take the best right-back in the league, move him into position he hasn't really played since he was in the academy. Oh, and then go and buy the best player in the league, who's probably going to cost you about 150 million. And I think he's 29 years of age. Uh, these people get paid for this. He gets paid for opinions like that. That's remarkable. That is today's show. Episode one of the Two-Footed Podcast in the books. I really hope you've enjoyed it. Let me know. Tweet me at twofootedpod. Email me twofootedpodcast at gmail.com. If there's anything you liked, anything you didn't like, let me know. Absolutely. Get in touch. If there's any suggestions you have, I'm open to anything. I want this podcast to be as good as it possibly can be. Today's a little bit of a long one, but it's the first one, so I'm, I'm sure you'll allow me a little bit of leeway on that. Uh, later this week, part two of my season review with Kevin DeVries, who does the EPL Roundtable podcast, will be out. Now, I will warn in advance, it is long. Uh, part one is, a, I think, about an hour 45. I think part two might be just over the two-hour mark. But basically, we cover all 20 Premier League teams plus the three newly promoted teams, all 20 teams from last year, I should say, plus the three newly promoted teams. So we go through all 23, a little bit less depth on the three newly promoted teams because obviously we didn't watch a whole bunch of them in the, in the championship. Um, so it's long, it's epic, but part two will be out on this feed later this week. Um, so I hope you'll check that out. My advice would be to take it as a mini-series and listen to it maybe in three or four parts probably the best don't know if anyone wants to listen to over two hours of me but uh it's good it really is good it's fun me and kev do it every year we do it after the season and we do it after each transfer window ends we do three three times a year um and they always tend to be quite long but that's it that's the two-footed podcast for today monday august 24th my name is dave hendrick thank you very much for listening and i'll see you tomorrow Podcast Network.